welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are looking at The Hunger Games and The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes through the theme of compassion. And if you have not read The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes yet, first of all, what are you doing with your life? And second of all, you definitely need to do that before listening because there will be spoilers. And while you read, you can go back and listen to our episodes where we read through The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Absolutely. So to get into our discussion on the theme of compassion, we're going to start with a quote. And this quote comes from the first book, The Hunger Games, and it's at the end of the actual games. It takes a few moments to find Cato in the dim light, in the blood. Then the raw hunk of meat that used to be my enemy makes a sound, and I know where his mouth is, and I think the word he's trying to say is please. Pity, not vengeance, sends my arrow flying into his skull. Yeah. Yeah, so... intense. (laughs) I mean, the Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a really, really good quote for it, because, frankly, a lot of our discussion about this series deals with things outside the games themselves. We don't Mm -hmm. talk a lot about the nitty-gritty of how these children are hunting each other. Yeah. And the violence that that goes within that. And I think a big part of that is because that violence is so often part of these wider structures of oppression and, and these other issues. But I think that this is a telling moment because it's one of the few times where violence is a form of compassion. Violence is Mm -hmm. a gift to Cato, who was once her enemy, but at this point isn't even that anymore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you also see that in The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes when Lamina kills Marcus, Mm. right? You see the same, yeah, act of compassion through killing Yeah, it's such an intense thing. You know, the whole situation is so bereft of goodness when this is the compassionate thing, when this is the kind thing to do. It's also even more powerful because Cato was trying to kill as many people as he could. He Mm. wanted to be the winner of the games, not just because he wanted to live, but because he wanted to be the victor. He's from District 2, and they train for this. And he was particularly hunting down Katniss Mm -hmm. because she was so skilled with bow. And even despite that and being hunted particularly by this person who wanted to kill you. She still has compassion. Another thing is the last arrow she used was in Peta's tourniquet. Mm. And so to give this gift of stopping the pain, it's risking Peta's life even more so. That's a big sacrifice to make as well for someone. We were like, well, he's eventually going to die. We can Mm. see the puddle of blood, but... You know, they didn't wait for even longer torment for him. Yeah. And I think it's also telling how in the games, the last opponent that they're facing, the last last threat that they face is the capital, Mm -hmm. is the mutts sent by the capital. Yeah. And that within the fight between Cato and Katniss, 
ultimately gets derailed when they're both targets of that violence from the capital. Mm-hmm. And in the end, she decides to release him from that violence the only way that she can. Really showing that even though he trained for this and he wanted this in a way, he was still a victim of this systemic and personal oppression. Mm-hmm. Which is another thing I love about the books, especially in the second book, Hamish says, remember who the real enemy is. Yeah. Because there can be so much distraction that can happen because of, yeah, I mean, animosity that you could feel towards each other's districts because these are the people you see on screen killing each other every year. Mm-hmm. But they didn't create the situation. The Capitol did. Yeah. Well, what character did you bring to talk about compassion in The Hunger Games? So, I decided that I wanted to talk about Tigress. She's barely in the original trilogy, Mm -hmm. but we get a lot more of her in The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, but in our analysis of every three to four chapters, we really didn't get to spend as much time on her as I would have liked, just because Mm. there was so much going on. But I think with the theme of compassion, I think it's a perfect time to talk about her because I think she is one of the most compassionate characters that we see Mm. that she really embodies a lot. The whole book opens and she is going to all of this extra work. Like she works a ton already and then she comes home and she makes food and everything, but she's going to all this extra work to create a great outfit for Coriolanus to wear to this academy event so that he isn't embarrassed Mm -hmm. because like this is something that would make him hurt in certain ways and so she cares about it and she puts energy and resources into it and we also see her taking care of the grandmam and Coriolanus obviously for so many years and even we get these hints that she chose to let herself be sexually exploited as a kid Mm. so that Corio would have it better. Yeah. And that is just one of the ultimate compassionate acts I think someone could do. And even not talking about it, not bringing it up in any way that could make him feel guilty or, you know, any of these things, like she shielded him from all of that, Mm. which I wouldn't necessarily say is the right thing to do, especially because of how Coriolanus turned out, (laughs) (laughs) but it is a compassionate thing to do. Yeah, you see that her character doesn't seem to to want any hurt or harm Mm. come to other people, And, and you also see her complaining about how horrible it is how the tributes are treated she even complains about the games themselves which that's a dissent (laughs) and in the capital and especially coming out of the war when she was so close to it and some of these horrible experiences she's had are because of this war and it would be easy to see it as or as Coriolanus sees it as the districts were the cause of this Mm. suffering that I had to go through but she doesn't seem to operate in the world like that. She even, you know, washes Lucy Gray's dress so that hopefully it could help her maybe so that she maybe will get more sponsors or things like that. But also, even if she couldn't win the games, at least she would get to die looking closer to how she would want to present herself since Lucy Gray cared about that a lot, you Mm. know? 
so I think you see a lot of different compassionate acts that she does and a more compassionate way of living in the world, I think, especially as somebody who still has grown up with some amount of privileges, for sure. Yeah. But then in, in the Hunger Games trilogy, when we actually get to interact with her a little bit in Mockingjay, she was somebody that Plutarch and the rest of the resistance that, you know, could be trusted. So she was involved, in which case it would seem like, yeah, the that compassionate side of her, something she does not need to do, right? She could have it great being the cousin of the, in quotation marks, president, because it <laughs> seems like he's been there for a long time. But she didn't use that status on that relationship to maintain or keep or amass power, right? But you also see one of the few moments that she reacts to anything Katniss is saying is when Katniss says, I'm going to kill President Snow. Mm -hmm. And it looks like she smiles, which is interesting coming from a person who has been so compassionate and has been so caring, especially for this particular person, to not have that anymore for them. And maybe it's because she has compassion for all of the people that he <laughs> has brutalized, that he has kept oppressed and, and all of these terrible things. The tributes um, that she was the designer for. A stylist the for, stylist yeah. For, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's interesting too and important because I don't think people who have to go through systems like this and participate to some degree are just going to be left the same like oh beautiful you know spirited person mm. because yeah you're going to be destroyed in some way or you're going to be complicit so yeah 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 that's really interesting and your discussion made me see actually a lot of parallels between her and Katniss mm. where we are talking about her sacrificing for Corio when mm. he was young yeah. and possibly giving one of the ultimate sacrifices in utilizing her body and, and letting herself be exploited by others. And Katniss gives another kind of ultimate sacrifice by volunteering for Prim. Yeah, that's true. So the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is from the perspective of someone who is also being sacrificed for, but who doesn't take it and utilize it the way that Prim does to mm -hmm. become someone who can develop a skill that's useful to the rebellion that she's a part of and actually going onto the front lines to utilize that skill, which I think is, is actually really, really compelling. We don't see a lot from Prim's perspective either, but it, yeah, it just makes me think that there's an interesting parallel there between the relationship between Tigris and Corio and that between Katniss and Prim, but we see the point of view character within those relationships switch. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think then how much of when Katniss tells Tigris that she's going to kill Snow, she knows who Katniss is. <laughs> That's true. And was there a moment when she saw Katniss volunteer for Prim and whether consciously or not really humanize with her in a way? Or if she saw some of the propos that they put out mm -hmm. and her singing and she's from District 12, if yeah. she, you know, made connections to, to Lucy Gray and this time when things were different and she thought her cousin was different. Yeah. And, yeah. I'm also really curious. I would love to 
to see the story of what leads to this change because that is losing your foundational beliefs in the world and your part in it and the part of the people that you love in it Mm -hmm. in understanding that this society is wrong and your cousin who you helped raise is wrong and you feel is worthy of death that must have been a heartbreaking experience to have that change happen yeah absolutely and yeah that you hope to raise oh that that would be the ultimate heartbreaking thing and the games that she participated in as a stylist Mm -hmm. and and all these other types of things that's just uh i bet suzanne collins would do a great job of showing us her in her thoughts during that Mm -hmm. process and and the subtle changes that eventually lead to a huge shift well we've had a book from the perspective of a tribute Mm -hmm. we've had one from a mentor's Mm. perspective now we need a stylist there you go suzanne collins if you're listening (laughs) we would like this book and i also have a list of probably 20 other scenarios i would really like to see yeah just give us a call We'll, we'll chat about it yeah yeah We'll we do... become best friends in, you know, in the process. So be it. Side effect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess we're okay with that. <laughs> but um, yeah, should we move into your plot? Sure. So the plot I wanted to talk about was the idea of alliances and how for 73 of the Hunger Games, there was only going to be one winner. Mm-hmm. Still, it sounds like almost every year, if not every year, every relationship in the arena is not defined by just violence. That's Mm. not the only thing that occurs. There are these alliances that occur. There are these people who choose to work together. And many of the times that's because they share a connection by being from the same district uh, or both in careers or whatever it might be, but not always. And I think that that's interesting because it means that there is someone who is, in a way, protective of you and that you rely on. But there's still a lack of compassion because there's the understanding that, in the end, only one of you can can survive. Mm-hmm. And that type of thinking and that type of strategizing is going to be at least in the back of their head, if not the front of their mind, mm-hmm. as they engage in these. And... It's one of the reasons why I think Katniss's relationship with Rue is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Because this is a friendship that certainly we see Katniss, especially at first, wary and thinking about what is Rue trying to do when she is also an enemy of, of a sort. But they so quickly build a bond together that diminishes any sense of that. And I think it shows that even in these really dark places, that, that that kind of compassion can also exist and that people can treat each other compassionately. It makes me think about, I wonder if there were more sacrificial or compassionate care, you know, tributes in other games like we saw in mm-hmm. Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes and, and Katniss's games, of course. But yeah, it's just, it makes me really, really interested. In, and it also makes me think about how Thresh chose to save Katniss and not to hurt her because of what she did for Rue. And you could argue that that was something that led to, or or at least made it even more possible for him to die, which he eventually did. And yeah, just those personal connections, I think, are, are so interesting and so important. It's just something that's kind of on my mind when I think about compassion and how compassion itself can sometimes be a privilege to treat someone else compassionately 
is easier for some people than it is for others. Mm-hmm. And one of the amazing elements that we see from Katniss, and in a way that I don't think she really understands about herself, is the compassion in her relationship with Rue. Yeah, it's just, it's really powerful as a reader, and clearly it's powerful to the people of Panem. Well, and District 11 sends Katniss yeah. bread after that. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, well, we were saving this to send it to Rue, and now she's dead, we could send it to Thresh, but they didn't because of, the, yeah, that compassion. But also, I think their alliance started because of compassion, mm. because Rue pointed out the Tracker Jacker nest, and then once Katniss was stung, she put leaves on that would help alleviate the the pain and the symptoms. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And didn't she also check to see if Rue was no longer in the area that would have been affected before she let the tracker trackers go? Yeah, she like motioned like, I'm going to, you know, do this now. And so then Rue swung off in the trees as <laughs> she was able to do. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really good point. And then Katniss, so. you know, gave Rue the rest of the squirrel that she had caught and mm-hmm. all of these different things when Katniss is a much bigger person I mean, not much bigger, but she was a bigger person. 12-year-old versus a 16-year-old would theoretically need to eat much more, but yeah. she, you know, gives it to Rue, which is also interesting idea if there has ever been a games where somebody sacrifices their life for someone else because if Katniss didn't have Prim back at home mm-hmm. and if Rue hadn't died in the way she did, I don't know what would have happened. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. If if somehow it came down to Katniss and Rue and the capital didn't give them the ability to maybe both live, I can't imagine Katniss killing Rue. Oh no, absolutely not. And Which was even Katniss's problem with the alliance. <laughs> She's like, I'm in this, <laughs> but I know we're not going to both make it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I just, I think that it's interesting. I'm, I'm kind of just looking for where we can see compassion in interesting places, particularly in a book series that is so, the, the setting is so defined by violence and oppression and the opposite of compassion, but where we see characters who are put in positions where it's difficult for them to be compassionate who still manage to do so. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I think good people are inherently good. I am a, a Lucy Gray. Good people are inherently good? <laughs> is, that, is that what I said? That is totally what well, you said. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I guess I would agree with that statement. <laughs> if good people exist, but yeah. Okay, Lucy Gray. <laughs> well, let's go into our questions. What, what compelling question did you have for me? So my question is, what characters do you think have or show the most compassion? I mean, obviously we've already talked about a couple, but yeah, what are what are your thoughts? I think the character who who really stands out is Sejanus. Totally, yeah. Who really does risk everything for doing what he thinks is right, and who refuses in so many ways to participate in a society and in the event of the Hunger Games that is so awful. And I think that 
it can also be difficult for someone who is within a, within a system and within a society that is oppressive to be compassionate when it entails risking their position in that society. As awful as, as that is, I think it's still true. Mm-hmm. And so it's not surprising to see that he's the only character who we really see risk himself in intense ways. So, yeah, I think that, that he's for sure one of the, the main characters that comes to mind. Yeah, and I was debating whether to talk about him or Tigress, but we have talked about him more, so I was like, okay, we'll focus on Tigress <laughs> this one time, even though Janice has my heart. But, yeah, I think he is so compassionate, and, and I would even maybe argue more compassionate in the sense that his compassion, I think, is broader Hmm. to strangers, to people he doesn't even know and will never interact with. And the whole reason he even got involved with the rebels to begin with was because he found out that Lil was being, you know, imprisoned in, in the Peacekeeper base and there was a way to get her out. He didn't know her. Yeah. And he was going to risk his life for this. And closer to to the beginning he brought food for marcus but not only marcus who was the person that he actually knew and had had a relationship with Mm. but he brought food for all of the tributes yeah just to alleviate their suffering even if it's in such a small way and then obviously to the point where he's like no everything (laughs) like this whole system needs to come down and i won't i won't stand for it but yeah i think it all is like coming from his compassion and the fact that he he wanted to be a medic that was his plan that's what he wanted to do because he wanted to help heal people on either side it didn't matter who they were he wanted to help them if they were suffering which yeah i think is so compassionate his his compassion even for snow when snow is the worst Uh, (laughs) it's just uh well and that's why he didn't he decided he wasn't going to leave without telling him yeah (laughs) your face right now you're just like yeah yeah it's just it's so sad it's so i know it's because he was like he said that i'm like his brother and i don't want (sighs) to leave and him to not know why and it to hurt him you know yeah it's it's like tragic no (laughs) it's tragic in like the from what i understand the kind of original idea of a greek tragedy which is that Mm. a a heroic character is ultimately undermined by a attribute of their personality Mm. where it is his goodness Mm -hmm. his compassion that ultimately leads to his downfall yeah. Oh, Sejanus. Oh, Sejanus. <laughs> Why? So yeah, obviously he is a very compassionate character. Peta would also come to mind oh, as definitely. a very giving character. But on your point of how Sejanus is often giving to the people who he doesn't know personally, Peta does tend to mostly be compassionate for those he is personally invested in, in some way. I mean, he offered to give a month's worth of their earnings to Rue and Thrush's families, and he never really interacted with either of them. But they interacted with Katniss, and... Well, they were in the same games together, so you have some amount of... Yeah, but he doesn't offer it to any of the other districts. He does it specifically to them because they were Katniss's allies, and he loves Mm -hmm. Katniss. 
But as we've discussed in, in previous episodes, I think that his decision to come to Katniss at the beginning of Catching Fire and say, hey, I'm sorry that I haven't been a good friend to you and that I've been expecting more than you can give and I want to start over. I just think that's such a mature and giving way of engaging with a relationship with someone who you love who doesn't have the same feelings for you or isn't willing to act on it in that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And I wish we saw more of that in media and... I just love PETA. Yeah, I know. Me too. Yeah, and one of my favorite scenes in the book is is when he's holding the mortal thing from mm. District 6 in Catching Fire, and she's using her blood to, to paint on his face, and he's talking about colors and everything, and it's just such a powerful and touching moment and, and just such a beautiful picture of compassion you know, it was it was all about her and what would ease her passing. It wasn't about, like, what would make him feel better about yeah. her having sacrificed, which is, yeah, the, the compassionate place. And also, I think, him wanting them to kill him in, in Mockingjay because he didn't want to hurt anyone. Yeah. And, and that's what he would rather. Another person I was thinking about, you mentioned earlier, would be Prim. She nursed the goat lady back to health and wouldn't give up on her or other people would see her and think that she's lost cause but Prim doesn't see it that way and she helped with the treatment for PETA mm -hmm. after his hijacking and she wanted Katniss to wake her up in the middle of the night if she ever couldn't sleep or had nightmares or wanted to talk and Obviously, in the end, her being a 13-year-old kid yeah. who goes out into a war zone to try to help care for people who have been injured, and not only just people who have been injured, but people who are capital children who yeah. had such a different life at your expense. Yeah, just still, that, that compassion, I think, is striking. Absolutely. Yeah, one last character I had was was Max, who... Oh, Max. Her decision and choice to go into a place that would kill her with a smile on her face mm. and with her last action being a loving one to Finnick of, of I think she, like, touches his face and I smiles she at him. him. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and chooses that in order to protect him and, and, and Katniss and Peeta is you know we don't hear i think anything from her at all but she also volunteered for annie mm -hmm. and so we know very little about her other than she does these compassionate things mm -hmm. yeah another person i was thinking about was finnick because mm -hmm. the moment that he gives in, in mockingjay that he gives katniss his rope which mm. is like his coping mechanism and he's not okay then either. Yeah. But he gives it to her so that she can do something to maybe lessen the anxiety and just anguish that she's feeling, I think is definitely a really compassionate part. And part of Absolutely. where their relationship gets so wonderful is because of of their shared compassion and understanding of what each other's going through to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think 
also compatness. Compatness. <laughs> I think also Katniss is compassionate too. Not only in, in cases like the quote that we started with, but I think that's why she thinks Gail's tactics are wrong. Mm-hmm. Even though it would be used against either people who are capital or people who are fighting on the side of the capital, mm-hmm. like in District 2, but she's not okay with it. She, she literally gets shot because of it. Yeah, yeah. And she also, she never wanted to to have kids because she didn't want them to have to live through what she had been through, which I think is, yeah, such a compassionate stance. Yeah, absolutely. And last one I was thinking about is Reaper from mm. Ballad of Song, Birds and Snakes, because he didn't only have compassion on those who had died, but he also, I think, had compassion potentially on their families yeah. who would see them. You know, this is before they send in those hovercrafts to take the bodies out. They would just see their bodies for days, potentially, strewn across. And, and didn't he also go around and apologize to everyone yeah, because he was, he was going to kill, kill them, them. and then well, he and didn't then he kill didn't. anyone i know yeah yeah reaper's a great character yeah he really is yeah really interesting characters who again are, are doing compassionate things in in such hard circumstances yeah in a series that's about people killing each other and mm-hmm. <laughs> not just people but kids killing each other like there are still so many instances of compassion which is really cool absolutely yeah yeah but what is your question for me my question is also going to be about finding compassion in difficult to find places because i'm wondering where you see the capital as being compassionate (laughs) and that can be the capital as a system or individuals within the capital yeah, the capital is a system is what I was thinking of at first. And I was like, this is hard to find anything. I think individuals, there's definitely the people who are involved in the resistance. Mm-hmm. They certainly have compassion because most of them, maybe not Castor and Pollux, they had a different circumstance than someone like Cressida who, yeah, probably had so much privilege and so many opportunities and resources and everything at her disposal and she was talented and she still chose to put her life completely on the line and aid in bringing down the system that she benefited from which is amazing and you know what we all should do (laughs) yeah i think it's hard to think of anything with, <laughs> with the structure, though, because everything that would seem compassion is just like an underhanded mm. thing. So even like, oh, yeah, we'll remove the bodies from the arena. You don't have to see them. Oh, they won't have other tributes cannibalizing them, you know, <laughs> like, but you're creating the system. So like, no, it's not compassionate. A wider scale of capital citizens being compassionate, I think, is seen in when they start basically a riot after the interviews during the 75th Hunger Games where the audience is not okay (laughs) with these people that they've grown attached to in some way. Especially Uh, once they realize one's pregnant. 
Oh, of course. I mean, it, it was like the final straw that but like tipped the scale. But yeah. yeah, like it was, they were getting more and more like not okay and upset with different things. And then there was that. And so, yeah, I think that shows some amount of compassion. Yeah. <laughs> not as much compassion as they should have or else <laughs> they would be, you know, the Cressidas and Sinas. But also the prep team, I think, gains a bit more compassion mm. after working with Katniss for more than just the one games. Yeah, the the scene where they're crying mm-hmm. and can't be in the room with her anymore is, for me, I think the last time I read through it, one of the most striking scenes I've, I've seen with them. We see it from Katniss's point of view of it, it just making it harder on her to have to deal with this. And Mm -hmm. Cinna steps in to basically say, don't put this on on Katniss. But that means that they end up just having to remove themselves because they're overcome with this sadness that someone they care for is likely going to die. Mm -hmm. Which is a great example of Cinna's compassion, too, of... It's not just like having compassion when you see pain, but it's proactively building in compassion into yeah. to how others will interact with someone um, so that it won't make something worse. Absolutely. So yeah, I, you know, we've hit on a lot of the, the characters that we do see compassion coming from them on the individual level. Tigress being another great example, of course. And that's really interesting, but, but on your point earlier... You know, you mentioned how so much of what the capital does is underhanded. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really interesting how they essentially utilize the compassion of capital citizens as a tool in building the Hunger Games the way that they do. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. the way that there's this prize that the victors will be set for life and their village will get food and all these other resources. And how this allows the capital citizens, who certainly are not thinking critically, but allows them (laughs) to have a kind of celebratory paternalism. Look at what we're doing for these people. Look at what we're giving to them. We're helping the villagers. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it frankly reminds me of nonprofits that we have here in the United States, where we do send millions of dollars every year to mm-hmm. help the those who are less fortunate around the world. But as a society, we're also still creating many of the things that cause those people to live in yeah. such awful circumstances. And are we going to do anything about carbon emissions so that famines don't keep killing millions of people? Nah. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, we're going to con- continue to rely on fossil fuels and <laughs> dig for blood diamonds and, and <laughs> profit at, off of the slave labor that we utilize and so that we can all have iPhones and all these other kinds of things. But, but, but wedding rings. But wedding rings. And I'll <laughs> use that iPhone to send a donation of $5 <laughs> a month or whatever yeah. it might be, you know? And, totally. and so... Yeah, I think it's 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 interesting because that compassion exists and we don't really see a lot of that on the ground level from people in the capital. Mm-hmm. But it's clear through examples like we mentioned with the, the kind of riot that occurs after the 75th Games interviews that this does exist and this is widespread, that there is this kind of very paternalistic and dehumanizing view of the districts, but... It's, I think, couched in a kind of compassion there as well. 
mm-hmm. that then the capital's leaders and the game masters basically manipulate and utilize so that they can have viewers and they can build the games as a central portion of the way that they maintain the status quo and they do all these other kinds of things and they maintain control over not only the districts but the capital citizens. I just mm-hmm. think it's, it's very interesting how the compassion of these citizens can also be utilized as a tool to maintain systems that are the opposite of compassionate. Yeah. The very systems that are making them start to feel compassion at all to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Well, and I think that's interesting, too, to go back to the Battle of Songbirds and Snakes. They had to figure out other things to do because the citizens didn't want to watch. Mm-hmm. Because the less great citizens were like oh we don't care about these dirty little children who are like malnourished and we don't want to watch them because we don't feel anything about them so that means you have to pretty them up Mm -hmm. and you have to feed them the week before and then people will be more interested once they see people who look a little more like them right but you have the other side with like lysistrata Mm-hmm. that is thinking why are we doing this haven't the districts been supposedly punished enough and this annual event is a solemn occasion it yeah. is not a celebration or it's not an opportunity for entertainment and so then yeah they had to figure out ways of getting around those things yeah exactly yeah Well, why don't we head into our missed opportunities section? What did you want to bring? So I was thinking about, and and you touched a little bit on it earlier, but I was thinking about how in unequal societies and violent circumstances, that compassion really can make people more vulnerable. Hmm. It can even lead directly to their deaths, like we see for Sejanus, like we mm-hmm. see for Prim. So in circumstances like Penem, which is most an unequal <laughs> society and has a lot of violent circumstances, I think compassion is just intrinsically linked to courage and sacrifice. Mm. And so I just kind of wish that that was drawn out a little bit more or like made more explicit or commented on a bit more because it is yeah a a significant element and i think it is in there in the books with actions that do lead to their deaths or just actions that could have had the potential of changing everything so i just wish that, that it was seen a little bit more that choosing to be compassionate could be dangerous yeah dangerous it's it's like basically risking your own ruin yeah it's i give you this food and then therefore i may starve to death you know and then that is the case in a lot of the districts and and when we're looking at in the games any compassionate act as the potential to kill you Yeah, I think it's just in the face of such acute possibility of death or at the very least significant suffering, it's so powerful to have people still making the choice to be compassionate, even if it's potentially at their own expense. And um, 
you know, it's it's what makes some of those characters so wonderful yeah. and examples of what to strive for. But yeah, I just, I wish it was highlighted a little bit more. But again, it's like, the books are so good that sometimes <laughs> it's hard to be like, wait, what could they do better? They do everything so well. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah it, it makes me think also about how they could have been more explicit about some of Katniss standoffishness and how certainly she kind of sees herself as a selfish person comes from her lack of privilege growing up Mm -hmm. living in a in a home where her father died her mother had a mental breakdown and was unable to provide and she had to take care of the family in these really difficult ways and so being compassionate being giving was risking so much including risking so much for the rest of her family and mm-hmm. how that was hard for her. One thing that's where owing people comes into yeah. play because if somebody's compassionate to her, that means she will feel guilty not being compassionate back at yeah. some point, but being compassionate back might mean that her sister dies. Yeah, and and why she doesn't like it because you know, she, she resents it when people do nice things for her because she mm-hmm. doesn't want to feel like then that she has the impetus to need to give to those two she's not chosen to give to. Yeah. And I think she also is skeptical of compassion as Mm. well. Is this compassion or is somebody just trying to manipulate me? Like when Peta's father gave her Mm. cookies, right? He came in to say goodbye and she's like, why are you here, (laughs) Mr. Malark? And she threw the cookies out the <laughs> out the train window because she was like, oh, he's just trying to like get me to feel guilty and, you know, help his son. And and so, yeah, there's a lot of skepticism, which I understand. And I, I imagine a lot of the cases that would be true. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, I understand why she would view it that way for sure. Yeah. Yeah, my missed opportunity is similarly... Something that I actually like about the book that I just wish was slightly better because these books are good. (laughs) Uh, Earlier, you brought up Peta's decision to want to die um, Mm -hmm. because he doesn't want to hurt anyone. And I wish there was a little bit more examination and repercussions from Katniss's choice not to allow him to. She doesn't give what she to him what she gives to Cato, which is mm-hmm. giving him death when he asks for it. And I think that is itself a selfish act. And they don't really talk about it much after that anyway, because there's just so much that happens at the end of Mocking Jay. But I was thinking about how that act is like she talks about how she's protecting him and how they protect each other and, and these kinds of things, but she's doing so in a way that has no idea of what their future will look like and if he will ever be in a position to feel comfortable in his life. And when he is asking for this, not only to ensure that he doesn't hurt anyone, but also to ensure that he's not hurt further by the capital, mm-hmm. not taken again by them and tortured and manipulated and brainwashed in that way, she says no. And I think she does that because she needs PETA, not because she wants what's best for PETA. That's definitely one reading of it. Another is just, how do you kill someone you love? Especially if you don't believe that it's necessary. If she's like, well, if we can 
make it so that he doesn't harm anyone else, then he doesn't need to die. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's difficult. I mean, eventually she does. She doesn't. When Gale gives Peta his Nightlock poison pill, mm-hmm. she doesn't like knock it out of his hand. Right. No. <laughs> and but... she she regrets not killing Gale mm-hmm. when he's taken as well. But then Peta does the same thing right back to her when she tries to take her Nightlock pill after mm-hmm. killing Coin. So yeah, it, it's it's hard. It is really hard, and 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 I'm not saying that I think she did the wrong thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. I just think that the reasons that she did it were not prioritizing necessarily Peta's happiness or what Peta wants. Yeah. It was, yeah. and thus, I don't know if it was compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, I think that there, you know, clearly we're having an interesting discussion about this. I think that there could have been more of that in the books as well, you know, in their happily ever after or as happy as can be ever after. <laughs> um, okay, ever after. Epilogue, Yeah. You know, talking about how they are together, they are making this life, they're doing what they can, supporting each other in the ways they need to, but they're both there because the other wouldn't let them kill themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful in a lot of ways, but yeah, I just, I think that there's, there's more that I would have liked to kind of see them grapple with in the text, but I'm happy to just do it here on the podcast with you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it is a very interesting question and one that I've even grappled with myself in real life when somebody I've been close to was, was suicidal and do I go against what their wishes are and call the police and yeah. tell them and maybe they'll be checked into some sort of facility for 72 hours, maybe longer, who knows, you know. Yeah, what is the loving thing to do? It's it's yeah. complicated. And it's further complicated when it's someone that you love yeah. and you don't want to lose. And yeah, it's 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 just a really hard fraught conversation and thought process. But I am also imagining what I would think if I was in Peter's shoes and I couldn't control myself. Mm-hmm. I had my agency taken from me in my control over my own body in a way that not only has led to me destroying most of my relationships. But I've killed someone mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, because I, I could not control my body. Like, that would... Yeah. It would be very hard for me to live with myself like that, particularly knowing that there is no cure for this. There's no way that this is just going to be better. Yeah, it's just, it's hard. Yeah, definitely. Well... What's your takeaway from this discussion? I think my takeaway is to think about or or try to be more aware, I guess, in situations where I have opportunities to be compassionate, but maybe it would put me in a more precarious position or maybe it would lead to greater suffering for myself. You know, just to be more aware of what I think is right not necessarily mm. what is smart because what we've been talking about it's not necessarily the smart thing to be compassionate yeah. and it puts you at greater risk but that does not mean that it's not the right thing to do or the the loving thing to do and so yeah i think just trying to be more aware of of that it's a nice lesson <laughs> more like a challenge <laughs> 
What about you? Yeah, I think after this conversation, what's really in my head is is pretty uncharacteristic of me because it's fairly cynical. When yeah. I think about... Right. I end with something nice and you end cynical? <laughs> this is great. 2021, a whole new us. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's because of the opposite of that. Because 2021 is showing that all of the awful things in our recent and long history are... Just as awful? Just as awful. <sighs> and the systems that we are a part of and that we benefit from as Americans mm-hmm. are ongoing. And even though there are discussions that come around at least every four years, if not through, you know, beyond that of what the right path for the country might be, we see how those discussions themselves are devolving in many ways or reverting, I should say, back to more explicit racism, nativism, and just hate. So yeah, I I just, my kind of takeaway from this conversation is, is just thinking about our own system and thinking about how even being compassionate within this system is still feeding into the system Mm -hmm. in ways that are inherently unequal and unequitable and i don't know what to do about that Mm -hmm. um i know that i'll continue to be as progressive as i can in the conversations i have the podcasts we record the ways i vote and, and do spend my money and all these other kinds of things but it's just uh how do you navigate an incredibly violent, oppressive, unequal world compassionately when so many of the systems you're a part of just naturally are inherently violent. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's on my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Now let's watch The Good Place. Talks about that a little bit. (laughs) It does. Oh, I love The Good Place. That's so good. We should do a Good Place episode. Yeah. Okay, well... On that happy note... On that uplifting (laughs) note, uh, what will we be talking about next week when we return to Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra? So, we are going to be looking at the series through the theme of shame. Okay. Also uplifting. Very uplifting. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best not to make this an on-air therapy session. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find our social media links and a link to our website in the episode description. You can also join our wonderful supporters at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines, where you can help keep the show sustainable and get access to all sorts of great additional content by donating as little as $1 a month. That really helps us go keep going and is extremely beneficial to us. I also encourage you to give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. It really helps us get new listeners, and we'd love to grow this community even further. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.